Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, uh, will we or won't we? Will they or won't they? Can we or can't we? These are all the questions we woke up to this morning after Boris Johnson's route map to a roadmap yesterday revealed some things but kept most of them hidden. Let's have a quick checklist, shall we? On schools, probably not opening before March. On travel, you can't go anywhere without papers that say you're free to go there uh, and you have to have proof of why you're going there. On quarantine... Pay for your own 10-day confinement in a hotel if you're coming back from some kind of hot country. It doesn't matter whether you have a house here or not. On restaurants, don't expect a meal out before May. On exercise, keep walking and running and cycling, but I'm afraid you can't go to a gym. On hairdressers, just get used to looking like you've been dragged through a hedge backwards. (laughs) Uh, I'm afraid so, yes, I know, that includes me as well. Uh, The debate rages on about schools in Cabinet as Gavin Williamson is pushing to reopen them after February half-term, after all. Uh, that's what they said they'd be able to do once they vaccinated enough people. We'll be speaking this morning to head teacher Catherine Burble Singh, who thinks we might as well just cancel this academic year and start again. Also, uh, we might take a little look at what Angela Rain has been saying this morning, uh, echoing what Keir Starmer said in Prime Minister's questions yesterday, that teachers should be vaccinated during the half term. Now, it may well be that that's a good idea. However, the scientists say the teachers are not actually at any high risk of getting, catching coronavirus in schools from kids. So who's got it right and who's got it wrong? Should they jump the queue? And why are they not going back to work if they say they're frightened? 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we're joined by Nick Dubois, author and former Conservative Party MP, on the shambles that the EU is presiding over, issuing threats to the UK and AstraZeneca over their own failure to organise their vaccine rollout properly. Also, Helen Dale will explain where the burgers of Brussels got it all wrong and why it's so dangerous to have a super state in charge of other countries, particularly when it comes to medical matters. 0344 499 1000. Impressionist Lewis McLeod is here to cheer us all up with his take on world events and we'll be crossing over the Atlantic to speak to LaDonna Harvey for the latest on the Biden Boar Fest. And we've got some homeschooling about the sun. Not the newspaper, the thing in the sky, which you can't actually see today because it's a bit dark. Never mind. Plus, we want to hear from all of you as well, your thoughts, your fears and your moods. Get in touch with the home of common sense. Oh, and after all that elite sports nonsense, no quarantine uh, for managers of Premier League football teams, 
Chelsea, after all that fuss about Thomas Tuchel being required in the dugout, guess what? It was nil-nil. You might as well have stayed in the hotel. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, if you're a parent listening to this, looking out uh, at what you can only describe as the barren wasteland of the homeschooling situation, trying to catch uh, uh, your children, making sure they get up in time, making sure they log on in time, making sure they know precisely what they have to do. They're not muted. Uh, They're trying their very best to listen in to a Zoom conversation with a teacher, trying to take part in a very, very complicated lesson. It's all very difficult. And if you've got more than one child at home, you will know uh, how much of a handful it is, particularly if they're under a certain age, uh, to keep them concentrating and to keep them following what is going on. We're going to talk now to Catherine Burble Singh, head teacher uh, of Mycala Community School, author of To Miss With Love, a book about uh, the state of state schools. Catherine, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I read with interest um, yesterday uh, what you were saying about possibly just cancelling the school year altogether and and waiting until kids can properly go back. And I've got two teenagers myself, and it's absolutely true to say it's incredibly complicated for them and difficult for them. And home learning is nothing like school learning, is it? No, yes. I mean, look, I'm not saying that that should happen. I've said that we might want to consider it. And I do think that the current situation warrants the discussion uh, and it may be that we think, no, that's impossible. But India has done it. And um, we need to realize what I think is that we're kidding ourselves uh, about how much the children are learning. Last lockdown, uh, we did live lessons. We set lots of homework. Uh, just And this is our sixth form. So think about that. Those are the children who are most engaged, the children who are most likely to get the most out of uh, online learning. And when they came back to us in June, uh, after the first lockdown, we found that really they'd remembered about 20% of what we taught them. Now, the fact is that in an uh, online lesson, you can only teach about 50% of what you would have taught normally in the classroom. And then if out of what you're teaching, they're only remembering about 20%, you've got very little learning going on. And the reason for that is that it's impossible to test for understanding. It's impossible to hold them to account because they're at home. And often parents aren't able to support it. It's not their fault. They're busy doing other things. They're working, for instance. Normally in the class, the teacher's able to pepper lots of questions to get the children there and engaged. You know, I've heard so many stories, not necessarily here, but, you know, at at various schools where they're teaching 100 children on Zoom. I mean, how can you teach 100 children and then hold, get them to answer questions? Mm-hmm. At the end of the session, when they say, okay, uh, you can log off, the teacher tells them to log off. Well, there's a bunch of kids who don't log off because they're not even there because there's just a black box mm-hmm. and the teacher doesn't know whether or not they're there. Well, that's so, right. And I tell you, the more disadvantaged the family, the less the child is getting out of the learning. Many of these children are not turning up to lessons at all. They're just not there. Mm. So we're all saying, oh, what we need to do is get them laptops, you know, and the government spends millions getting laptops out. Well, great. Then they're on Snapchat all day. We don't recognize. (laughs) I'm not saying we shouldn't give them laptops. Obviously, that was good. But if there isn't a parent in the house who's able to keep the child on the laptop, on the learning, and then able to hold them to account and has some knowledge of English and maths and science and so on to help test them on it, the child is not really going to learn. And never before has it not been more certain 
that nothing can replace a teacher in a classroom. And all of that nonsense around tech being, uh, you know, an equivalent to teachers, well, it's 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 silly. Mm. Um, now obviously, we need to be doing this at the moment, but I think we just need to be uh, honest about uh, the damage that is currently being done and the divide. My main concern, because I work in the inner city with disadvantaged kids, is that the divide between the rich and the poor is going greater by the is growing greater by the day. Yeah, and I think you will know better than anyone, Catherine, that every child is different. You know, there will be some children who are quite happy working from home and quite diligent and quite good at following instructions and quite good uh, at not becoming distracted every five minutes. But then there yeah. will be loads who are not like that. I mean, I, even yeah. even my two are very different. I mean, I was uh, watching my older son, who's who's at a, a he's left school now. He's at a, an FE college, um, and he was involved. And I, I walked in as he was at. Kind of sort of coming to the end of his last lesson of the day and he was watching something but there was no noise coming out of it you know uh, something was being illustrated on a uh, uh, on a screen um, nobody was actually interacting nobody was talking and then at the end I heard a teacher's voice saying okay that's it um, we'll see you tomorrow you know there was no there wasn't it wasn't like there was a conversation going on even well and and the thing is, if you've got 100 children to teach, there's definitely no conversation going on. And the reason why some schools are in that situation is that they've got half the staff in the school trying to, to, to teach the vulnerable kids and the key worker kids. Then they've got half the staff who they're trying to get doing the Zoom lessons. Uh, there are some schools that are doing Zoom lessons, some schools that are setting work. And I, it's frankly, it's, it's chaotic for everybody. And everybody's doing the best job that they can. Um, it, it, it's nobody's fault. It's just that we need to be honest about, as you say, for those kids who aren't able to manage necessarily the learning themselves, and certainly the younger the child, the less likely they are, the more disadvantaged the child, the less likely they are to be able to do this. And even our top six formers, you know, even they weren't able to remember the content when they came back to school after the first lockdown. So, you know, it's, it's my thing is, let's just be honest. Mm. And uh, when Andrew Adonis marches around and says, what we need are live Zoom lessons and the private sector have it and state schools aren't doing it and that's the problem, that really isn't the problem. It's no. far more complex than that. Also as well, uh, Catherine, I mean, was, it, were this to be uh, the beginning of it all, we might be able to have dealt with it slightly better, but it's actually not the beginning of it because I remember back to when uh, at the end, again, I can only talk about my own personal experience, but at the end of, uh, of Easter last, last year, um, my older son was supposed to do his GCSEs. So he literally wasn't really in the place to do any home learning because he was meant to be just revising for exams, which then weren't happening. So he hasn't done anything really from, from March all the way through until September. The other one, um, who was still in secondary school, who was 13, um, he was getting sort of fitful homework and, and not really any online learning at all. And he was being yeah. told, you know, do the homework uh, if you want to. Uh, but if you're feeling that it's a bit overwhelming, don't worry. Yeah, so that's exactly right. There are also key groups that have been really badly affected by this. So the current year 12, who never did their GCSEs, that not having had that opportunity, gosh, I feel so sorry for them mm. because those last six months moving towards your GCSEs, same thing for those kids who have now started at university and missed out on their A-levels, same thing for the kids who are currently in year seven and missed out on that push towards SATs in year six. For those six months leading up to that, it's so crucial for their learning. Uh, those young kids at age five and six learning how to read, there is so much uh, delay in their learning. And I just, look, I just think it's a, it's a conversation that should be had about whether or not we should be redoing the year. Now, it might be that for practical reasons in the end, that proves to be impossible. Yeah. Well thought. But 
I think we need to be honest about the current situation. Yes. No, I think you're absolutely right, because I think you have to take with with uh, uh, what has happened since September, um, you have to say, well, not very much, really. And if you're telling people um, who didn't get to do their exams uh, last year that in two years time, they may not be doing them either. And certainly the end of this year, they may not be doing them either. It's a bit, it's a bit difficult to get them to be convinced they're working towards anything at all. I mean, I've got lots of friends with with varying stages of, 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 of age children. And one particular a woman who does a lot of work with us uh, she's got two kids at primary school she's she's told the school look I simply can't supervise them because I have to work from home they both need supervision because they're too young to be able to be left alone with a laptop and I simply can't do it and the school's actually said well do you know what that's fine just don't worry about it and I think there'll be a lot of parents in that situation yeah no that's an interesting point look what I'd say to parents is do what you can as much as you can because Otherwise, your children are falling behind. And I know it's really very hard, like you've just described. Mm. I would say that there are some math online uh, uh, software that you can get. Hegarty, we love at, at secondary school. Um, IXL, uh, Smart Tick uh, for lower down in the primary school. You can get them doing tons and tons of maths. Get them reading as much as you can. Um, find something that they haven't been able to do that they, you know, that they can do. So like something like ride a, learn how to ride a bike, learn how to bake a cake, uh, learn how to keep a ball up in the air for mm. a certain amount of time, whatever it is, uh, have a goal that they can then achieve um, and they can feel happy about. Because I also worry about our children's mental health, being stuck inside all the time, uh, just you know, they can't see their friends, they can't socialize, because school isn't just about, clearly isn't just about um, uh, academic mm. success. It's also about meeting your friends, uh, playing and, and building relationships and, and your teachers and so on. And all of that has been taken from them. It really is just, um, well... Yeah, I mean, I think both of you and I, if we were talking two, two years ago, uh, could never have envisaged us being in this situation now. And, and, and uh, you know, the part of me says, well, we are where we are. What can we do? Let's make the best of it. However, an awful lot of evidence now coming through, Catherine, that, that a lot of kids are really suffering mentally um, with anxiety, not least because of the fact that they can't socialise, as you say, and they can't do all the things that they, they thought they could do. But also, I think a lot of them are getting quite frightened by some of the things that they're hearing, some of the things that are being said, you know, stay home, save lives, don't go out, you know, you might kill someone. You know, I think a lot of that is, is hard to take if, you, if you've only been alive for 12 years. Yes, yes, quite possibly. I also imagine that they're spending a lot of time on Snapchat and Instagram and house party. And horrible things can take place in these social media arenas mm. uh, for children. Children get bullied, they get targeted. Um, and, and the problem is because parents are so busy trying to work and keep things going at the moment, their children then end up on social media. And I, I, I it's, it's an impossible situation. Mm. Uh, wherever parents can reduce their children's exposure to social media, uh, please do it because... Um, uh, it, it, it won't be doing them any good. No, of course. There seems to be at the moment a bit of a row going on as well, in both in Cabinet and outside, about in, when to open the schools, whether it should be February the 15th or, or shortly thereafter half term, or whether it should go all the way to March the 8th, as Boris Johnson suggests. Also, Labour Party now suggesting that half term should be used for vaccinating teachers, but the scientists saying, well, teachers are not really any higher risk than anybody else. I mean, I'm not asking you to become very political here, but, but what is, in your view, the way forward for schools opening in this in this sense? Yeah, sorry, those are our pips here at school <laughs> uh, for lesson changeover. Okay. And sadly, there are no, Listen, the, I'm glad the, to hear it. I mean, that should be a, a sound that makes everybody happy. Yeah, no, I know. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, well, I think uh, that it's really important to get schools open. And while I myself 
don't necessarily want the vaccine. I'll, I'll have the vaccine and um, and I want it as soon as possible for all of teachers, all of the teachers, because I want kids in school. Mm. Now, I realize that then bumps other people out of the way in order to give teachers the vaccine. But I feel like those other people, well, they can isolate, but teachers need to be in schools so that we can get children back into schools. So I'm very pro teachers having the vaccine as soon as possible, not because they're at risk necessarily, but because we need to get the schools open. Yeah. And so um, th th that, that's my position. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree as, as much as, you know, whatever it takes to get them open, if that's what it takes, then let's do that. And there's no reason okay. why with the number of vaccines that we keep hearing that we've got, that we can't just roll out more in any event. And it seems to me that there are social care workers currently being vaccinated, for example, who are working from home. You know, so they're, they're on the list purely because of what their job is. But if their job isn't actually seeing anyone, then, you know, you could probably take some of those away and give it to teachers. But as far as the um, uh, the sort of Gavin Williamson, um, Boris Johnson row is concerned, I mean, how much more damaging will it be if you if you stay closed until March the 8th? Well, look, every day that our children are not in school, the further they fall behind. And the further the gap between the rich and the poor uh, is extended. Uh, the, the, my kids, we're in the inner city. I'm telling you, they are suffering. <laughs> so I want us back in school as soon as possible. And um, I worry that it won't even be March the 8th. I mean, that's where I'm at, you know? Who knows? Um, I, look, I'm not in government. I don't know what their priorities need to be. But um, I think that opening up schools the future of the country is, is our children, isn't it? And um, if our children don't know how to read and write and aren't numerate, then um, we're going to have trouble mm. uh, making the country run in, in 10, 15 years' time. Yeah, I also worry that if they've never been examined, as it were, properly in an exam situation, which is not just about your exams and your results, it's about handling the stress and dealing with the way that uh, you have to revise and dealing with you know a point in time when you are going to be tested... You know, I don't think that supplies them with the, the wherewithal to, to, to do well in society later in life. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Exam preparation is a wonderful opportunity for children to understand how they themselves learn, um, how to be resilient, how to be prepared, how to have a strategy, how to overcome obstacles. Uh, and, and not being able to do that puts them at a great disadvantage. Mm. And I feel very sorry for... Uh, our first year university students and our year 12 students uh, and our year sevens yeah. because they've missed out on on one of those milestones in, in their educational careers. Mm. Just one final question, Catherine. I mean, if we were to say, um, put everything on hold and say start again in September, would that mean that you would delay one year, the, the sort of the first year of, of, of kids going to school, as it were, and, and more broadly, do we send our kids to school too early? Because I know some countries don't put their children into school until they're a bit older. What do you think about that? Uh, no, I think school is good. Um, but I would do. I'm a headmistress. So, <laughs> um, the thing is, is that if you've got lots of families who can do lots of teaching at home before age seven and then send them to school, that's fine. But if you don't have that, then those children uh, won't learn to read until much later. 
and reading is such a wonderful thing. You want children to be able to do that as, as young an age as possible. In fact, I would encourage everyone listening, if you've got a child between the ages of zero to five, don't wait till they get to school. You teach them how to read yourself. You can do it from mm. a really young age, I promise you. Start them off at three. You know, you're reading the books and just keep putting your finger under the words and read with them daily for half an hour. I promise you, um, they will read before they get to school. Brilliant. Catherine, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Catherine Burble seeing. I'll let you get back to work. Head teacher at Mikella Community School, author of To Miss With Love, uh, a book about the state of state schools. Lots of interesting uh, debating points there, because, of course, what we do know uh, is there is now a split in the cabinet about when schools should go back. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, a good friend of the show, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, former Tory MP, novelist, Renaissance man. Nick, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike, and um, thank you for that generous introduction. <laughs> Listen, um, it, well, we are nothing but uh, uh, but pleased to be in the position that we are in currently when it comes to this ridiculous row that's being uh, cooked up by the EU, isn't it? U- EU demands British vaccines is on the front page mm. of the Telegraph today. I mean, quite extraordinary what is going on. Um, and I saw your tweet earlier today in which you said that, you know, making these threats and acting like sort of the bully with the big stick is really rather unbecoming uh, a sort of large super state, isn't it? Well, it's also um, pretty stupid because the louder the shouting from uh, the EU uh, members of parliament, the threats and the bullying, mm. the more exposed the actual EU commission becomes for mm. its own failings. And, and frankly, none of that is going to help EU citizens get the vaccination and karma heads need to prevail in Brussels. Mm. And, you know, it's to the government's credit here at home that they're not responding to these tactics. Mm. And I've heard several um, MPs this morning and, and, and others in the medical professions when asked, should we be giving some of our vaccines to the EU? I'd be quite surprised to hear them all saying absolutely not, you know, because at the moment um, I can understand why they would say that. Um, but but this is kind of a, a thing that the EU has now created. They've created this animosity between us and them, which really, frankly, maybe was always there, but is now being manifested. Well, uh, I mean, it's it's I think what's rather frustrating is it's kind of we shouldn't be that surprised Mm. um, about the mess they've got themselves into. I I mean, just take a look, for example, at the president of the EU Commission, that big bureaucracy and uh, a lady called Ursula van der Leyen, who Mm. if you look at her record, she actually presided when she was defense minister in Germany for five years over the demise of the German Bundeswehr, the German armed forces. And what was her response? Um, It was to blame her predecessors for her failings, uh, which, you know, gets a little difficult after five years. But where was the biggest failing? It was in negotiating procurement Mm. contracts and the likes of it. So this bureaucratic approach has not served the citizens well. And to your point about should we, if you like... um, uh, be, uh, be be diverting our pre-ordered, early ordered, well-planned uh, vaccination orders to Europe because of the failings in their own, frankly, negotiations. And let's not forget, they still haven't actually approved the use of the AstraZeneca uh, uh, vaccine. Well, the answer is no. And it's, it's no for, for, for the following reasons. First of all, Um, We have a programme for first and second vaccinations based on the supply chain that we have agreed. Mm. So it would be interrupting and threatening the well-being of our citizens, which, frankly, I don't think 
anyone around the world would want to necessarily do. But what the government have been clear about, and they made this perfectly clear when they started securing the millions of vaccine jabs, not just from AstraZeneca elsewhere, is that we would make a contribution to those less fortunate countries because we have over-ordered, we are committed to helping deal with this around the world. I just don't think any of us imagined that those countries that would be struggling uh, and who need help from uh, basically the more uh, economically active and successful countries uh, would be um, the EU. Yes, well, quite. And what it has shown up, I think, Nick, as well, is the very kind of um, rigid and un or inflexible, I should say, um, model that the EU works within because one of the biggest problems, and I've said this uh, for a couple of days now, I mean, we're having to struggle with which order we hand out the vaccines in, like do we give it to police officers before we give it to teachers, that kind of thing. Whereas in the EU, they're having to work out which countries get it first, presumably. Yes, and of course, you know, this this is why the statement by, um, I think uh, it's the, the health, the EU health commissioner, I, I believe, um, is from Greece. She's, Cypri- a yeah, laugh- she's a former psychologist from Cyprus, apparently. <laughs> right. So it's a bit laughable because the opening statement that she actually made was we are all united. Well, of course, <laughs> that is not the case. No. Um, and. And, and in fairness to many member states, they themselves laughed at that. It is a, look, this is a very serious issue that the EU citizens find themselves in. There were countries, um, including Holland, Netherlands, uh, Germany, France, they all agreed originally a contract with AstraZeneca mm. way back in June of last year. They then were effectively uh, talked out of it by the heavy hand of the EU and said, come into our system and we will provide for all. It's clear that even then there was not confidence in Germany, in Holland, in other countries that the EU could deliver. Mm. But as ever, they threw their weight around, proclaimed that it was in the interests of unity. And and, and sadly, the people who are losing out at the minute are the EU citizens. And I hope, actually, that we can resolve this problem um, uh, of course, we're not going to concede on looking after our own citizens, given the steps that we've been through. But it doesn't serve our interests to have uh, EU citizens not vaccinated, because actually, you know, we want to go there. Mm. We want to do business with these people. And the sooner that we can open up, the better. But the idea that they come in and actually try and ban exports mm. to our country through legal contracts. Can you imagine what those same EU people would be saying if Trump had tried something like this and if Trump had said, I'm putting America first, they would have been up in arms. So frankly, it's an absurd notion. Well, it totally is. And even the German media have turned on Ursula von der Leyen uh, and they've turned on the EU for being useless and they've actually used the words. Uh, Now we see why Brexit was a good idea because they've actually seen through the way that these people operate um, and nothing has been more clear that they do operate as a kind of protection racket. And I mean, the idea that they can threaten an international company, pharmaceutical company like AstraZeneca, who have made a contract with us, uh, who are due to deliver that contract, which has presumably been paid for, and they're going to try and get in the way of it. Yeah, and and remember, one of the reasons uh, that AstraZeneca is able to deliver on the UK contract is not only was it agreed a long time ago, it gave three months to iron out the glitches Mm. in production that were needed to meet the UK schedule. The EU, because they were slow to the table, have not been able to have that period of time or allowed AstraZeneca that period of time, which is why they are facing 
glitches in production and causing problems for EU citizens. Mm. And now, of course, the EU are putting around a very fatuous claim that um, uh, the AstraZeneca are obliged, uh, or they've said AstraZeneca are not allowed to make priorities for other countries. That isn't how the contract works. Mm. And we should get our share now. Well, look, if you look at the contracts, the one thing it doesn't say, uh, 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 and it's clearly wouldn't be saying in the EU contract, is you EU will come above everyone else. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, an illogical position that they have adopted. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of ranting going on. They're making themselves look foolish. I suggest karma heads prevail. Mm. And I am sure that uh, uh, the EU citizens will that through that approach will get a chance to get their vaccines in better um, speed and delivery than they're getting yes. now. Yes, I seem to remember as well going back to the end of last year that when we were uh, busy approving vaccines for use in uh, GP surgeries in hospitals and care homes, the EU had yet to meet because they were all off and they hadn't actually got together with their medical people to approve anything uh, because they weren't working. Well, uh, you know, and what what have we learned from this is that actually um, the the equivalent of the medicines approval agency, which of course um, is no longer in London yeah. because it's gone. Do you remember when they told us when that moved out that would be the end of medicine in Britain? Well, uh, I think I think there's a lot of people looking to Britain <laughs> and its scientists and its partnership with universities and governments, and you know, rightly are very proud of what's happened over here. But to your wider point, why are we why were we ahead of the curve in the um, in in the approvals process because we worked with the company and the university as they were developing the product. We didn't sit back and let bureaucracy take over and say, well, we'll only examine this when mm. you've finished. And that's one of the reasons we were way ahead of the game. So I hope that there's positive lessons that they can learn in Brussels mm. from, from what's happened here. And let's not remember another point because, you know, uh, the, 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 the time Britain took the decision not to join the um, EU, even though we were outside the EU, we were invited to join this common procurement uh, programme. The government took a lot of hits. They were being told they were being parochial for refusing to do this, that it was just Brexit ideology kicking in because they refused to do this. Well, I hope people will take a look now and say, well, first of all, Boris Johnson took the right decision in his government to actually keep it firmly in the con control of the British government. But they can also look at our commitments to helping the wider international community because we do and will have a lot of vaccines to help other parts of the world speaks to a true global Britain and frankly, the way it should be done. Absolutely right. One final question, Nick. Um, what about teachers? Where, where are you on the, the vaccination of teachers? Because there seems to be a bit of a row going on uh, between the Labour Party who want it to be done uh, in mm. uh, in uh, sort of uh, the half term period of February. However, the scientists are saying teachers are really not at any greater risk than anybody else. Well, look, I, I think there's a couple of ways of looking at this, first of all, is that the, the, this is not a political decision who is getting vaccinated. It is actually being taken by a joint vaccination um, committee that is saying who are the most vulnerable, mm. who are the most exposed. The Labour Party are basically saying, hey, Boris Johnson, override that scientific community who have prioritised the elderly and the most vulnerable and give it to teachers who I'm sure are very deserving, don't get me wrong, but I would ask people to say, well, if you're going to do that, which of the vulnerable groups that are the priority in this country who are most vulnerable and most at risk, are you going to take that vaccine away from? And I, I think that question, when that's answered, might be able to move on in this debate. But so far, 
I think it's right that the government stick to what they've said and, or, or what's been recommended by the Joint Vaccines Committee. Absolutely. Nick Dubois, thank you very much indeed. Author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, former Tory MP. Uh, I think Nick's absolutely right. The Labour Party, as ever, uh, is uh, the being wagged by the tail, uh, which is the unions, of course. The people who say, oh, the teachers are all frightened to go back. Every single teacher that I speak to uh, on this show and outside of this show says they want to go back to work. It's only the, the unions and the more militant ones who say that teachers are frightened of going back to work. So take out of that what you will. And any idea that comes from Angela Rayner, uh, who if I may remind you once more, uh, once called a Tory MP scum, uh, I don't think really is worth listening to. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. But let's talk now, though, to James Max, Talk Radio's early breakfast presenter, a man who knows a great deal about a great many things. We're going to be asking him about quite a complicated story uh, about a financial situation and a shares and a company situation in America, a company called GameStop. James, a very good morning to you. Very good morning, Mike. Now, I've read this GameStop story about three times and I still don't really understand it. So um, uh, it seems to be about a gaming company which was doing badly um, and which had to close a bunch of shops. But many ordinary people seemingly are making quite a bit of money out of it. That's absolutely right. So I think the simple way to explain it is that shares are traded on open stock markets. And if they are a publicly traded company, it means that, yes, institutional shareholders can buy and sell those shares. So that might be a pension fund, that might be a professional investor, or in this case, it might be hedge funds. Um, also, as personal uh, individuals, we can also go and buy shares. Now, there are certain rules and regulations which exist relating to not allowing to use inside information. We've seen all those rules. Yeah. But what's happened recently is there have been some forums which have identified companies which have been oversold, um, if you like, by the institutions because in the current moment they're doing really badly. So GameStop is a good example that people had not been going shopping. Their shares have been absolutely trashed. And what had happened is that the hedge funds had bought shares on the basis that they were taking the bet that the shares were going to go down further or even that the company was going to go bust mm. or perhaps they would be taken over or in some shape or form they'd be able to capitalize on that bet. So what forums have done with um, individuals who have probably in the know or otherwise, they've posted and they said these are the shares which have been bought heavily by the hedge funds why don't you go and buy them? If we all buy them, the share price will go up massively. The hedge funds will take a bath. You'll take a profit. Mm. So that's kind of what's happened. OK, so it's sort of the people's um, the people's stock market, if you like, versus Wall Street. Yes, exactly that. And uh, there is some good reason as to why some of these companies may necessarily in the future actually rebound and rebound quite strongly. So if you think about, for example, cinema chains, mm. the reason they've been trashed is, of course, that their revenue is shocking. They have existing um, costs of their real estate and various other things that they'll have to pay for. And as a result of that, it means that at the moment, if you take a snapshot, they are not a great company to own. However, in the future, as soon as and when they're able to reopen, some of those chains will presumably do quite well, particularly if others have not survived the pandemic because mm. there'll be more demand and less supply. Right. So, I mean, is this is kind of, I mean, I it's Reddit, which is an organisation which I also don't really understand terribly well, but it's a sort of an online forum for people to, to talk across the world. Um, has Reddit now got itself a sort of foothold in the financial markets, if you like, because of this? 
Well, I, I think they've got themselves into trouble, to be honest, because uh, what we saw was uh, one or two occasions they've actually been taken offline because mm. of various things which have taken place on those forums. And uh, institutions are looking, and particularly uh, central government banks are looking very carefully at this because they want to make sure that there isn't market manipulation. Right. Um, because, of course, th there is a very fine line. Because between... only they're allowed to do that, aren't they? Well, yes. Uh, I guess it, it depends whether or not that there's there's undue influence in a market, because mm. what you don't want to have is in any public market is that there is undue influence and therefore a, a share is trading at, at a level that is completely unsustainable with without some kind of intervention. So there are some shares, by the way, which have performed extremely well simply because uh, we have FOMO in the market, fear of missing out, which is a big feature of particularly tech firms. Mm. So why is it that, um, uh, let's pick Tesla. So Tesla, yes, they're throwing a profit out now, thankfully, after many years of having uh, thrown massive losses, but their share price has risen by over 700%. The reason for that is because they are seen as the technology of the future and they have a larger percentage of profit built into each unit that they sell compared to the likes of Volkswagen, who are much bigger in terms of the amount of cars that they make and produce. Mm. But each um, element has a much finer profit margin and that is dwindling as people move away from that product and towards the likes of uh, Tesla and other um, battery manufactured cars. So people are sometimes investing in the future because they want to hold. We've also seen the results from Apple, which continue to astound the market. Gonna, I was going to mention that to you. I mean, over 100 billion in revenue over Christmas. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It is extraordinary. Let's just think back in time. So back in 2003, Apple was worth about $10 billion. Uh, that was the same uh, at the time as Marks and Spencer. Mm. Marks and Spencer is now worth about six or seven billion dollars or five billion pounds. Uh, meanwhile, Apple is worth well over two trillion dollars. Uh, this is an extraordinary growth story that continues. And the longer that we're all kept in lockdown and that technology becomes ever essential. Look, who would have thought that a few years ago I would have been talking to you down the line mm. and be able to broadcast not only radio, but pictures as well. You know, technology has changed. We've all changed how we consume everything. Uh, Netflix, which was once seen as a you know new kid on the block, is now an essential. Um, who would have thought that Zooming would be part of everyday life? And it's not going to go once the pandemic has passed. This is now going to be part of our lives forever. It's true. James, great to talk to you. See you tomorrow morning at five o'clock. James Max Talk Radio's early breakfast presenter explaining to us the new uh, form of uh, stock market, not manipulation, but involvement from ordinary people uh, through Reddit, no less, uh, making a fortune against Wall Street. So traditions always being knocked down and new things always being started up, as he says. Apple now quite an extraordinary performance uh, over the course of the Christmas period. 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it's a very auspicious day uh, in the Graham household, I have to say, because uh, we have a birthday. Uh, But it's not either of my sons or even their mother uh, or my daughter or anybody like that. No, it is the dog. It is Ziggy Dog, uh, as he's known. And uh, he's seven, which uh, for a dog is quite a senior age. It means that it depends on who you talk to here, and I'm sure there'll be those of you who can explain this better than me, but some people think that there's a kind of a sliding scale of dog years, but roughly speaking, it's about seven to one. So he's about 50, effectively. Doesn't move quite as quick as he used to. He's become a bit wiser, you know, um, eats all the time. Careful with his weight, we have to be, because otherwise he'll end up as a fat dog. Um, but I just want to read a quick message that I have here uh, that's come in from Montecito, which says... Happy birthday, Ziggy. Happy birthday. Remember, always to be kind and to listen to our podcast. You can get it on Spotify. Happy birthday, Ziggy. Let's talk to Lewis McLeod, uh, a man uh, after my own heart when it comes to impersonating people. Lewis, a very good uh, morning to you. Good morning, mate. That was a great voice. Thank you very much. I just thought, Megan, well, Megan Markle wishing your dog a happy birthday. I mean, it doesn't happen often. No, it doesn't, you know, but we've really got to look after all the dogs and cats and all the creatures in between. We're all just on one giant Noah's Ark, isn't that right, Harry? Get me out of here! (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, never in the history of privacy have more people invaded their own privacy so regularly. (laughs) Who's that in the shower? (laughs) Mind you, um, at least I suppose it could be worse. It could be getting a visit from Andrew on his way to the FBI. You know, flies into Montecito for a quick weekend. Uh, yeah. Have you got any spare rooms? Well, I'm afraid that's a visit that's never going to happen. <laughs> I don't recall, but I might if pushed. But I won't be getting pushed on a plane anytime soon. <laughs> no, absolutely yeah, not. Really. Travel's the big, uh, big word today, Lewis. Of course, because yes. uh, Boris Johnson's coming up to Scotland and. He's got his own train. Steam, steam. Do you think he's on the Flying Scotsman? <laughs> he certainly will be leaving like a Flying Scotsman. Well, That's I'm leaving on a jet plane. Yeah. Well, some people have pointed out to me that Nicholas Sturgeon saying that his travel is not essential. She doesn't seem to have the same uh, care when she worries about whether Ian Blackford should be allowed to travel very far. 
Ah, uh, well, she, <laughs> she was quite blunt about that, wasn't it? This is a visit. What's good for one should be good for the other and all that. You know, no, he's not welcome. No. But the last time, let's be honest, when I was up there in Scotland, I visited factories. I, I, I was popular. I, I remember when I left, they said, Boris, you can't. At least I think that's what they said. <laughs> but one can't be sure. No. But no, it's, it, what's he coming up for anyway, just to be told... No, we're I not think, having it. I think he just wants a bit of a break from Carrie, to be honest. He just wants to get out of the house. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're locked down with the wife uh, or your partner yeah. for that long, and he's got no escape at all. He's got the baby, the dog, you know, yep. he's got old uh, Matt Hancock leering in every now and again. And he just Ooh. wants to get away. Yeah, Carrie's the carrier. Well, that's it. He's coming up the road for it. They should make... <laughs> <laughs> They should make that place where uh, what's his face got stopped off at the the Hague, you know, the Barnard Castle. Oh, that yes. should be that's where they should meet. They should be like, you know, <laughs> the mafia. They'll be meeting these car parks. Hello, <laughs> two meters, two meters. Keep that. Oh. Yeah, keep back. Look, this is totally unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, Blackford was on again yesterday, and I mean, we've got a little joke now here when, when we do Prime Minister's questions. We just say, well, when's he gonna? Is it gonna be the first question or the second question that he asks for money? <laughs> well, it's all about uplift. If you let's see it, it's universal credit uplift for the three million dispossessed. This is not good enough, Mr. Prime Minister. It's all about uplift, whether it's uplifting my chest or uplifting my dry clean suit from my Auntie Shona. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, today's the day trans. We're all about trans. I'm the trans am man, me. Look at that. These legs are coming out. I'll tell you what, next summer I'll be like Caitlyn Jenner down at 800 metres. <laughs> Mr Squeaker, give us a tenner. Now, Anything. <laughs> now, you know very well that the government has uh, been rolling out all sorts of advertising. Some of it is uh, quite scary. Do you think they should look for a new um, voice for that? Like, I was thinking maybe Philip Schofield could do some, <laughs> uh, some government advertising. Some government? You know, like, well, stay home. It, stay at home, but coming up... In part three, more cookie cookery classes uh, on Teams, which doesn't work. And if you're a parent, you'll know what I'm talking about. Bonjour, class. This is your French lesson. Oh, this is a load of old crap. I'm going home now. I am home. Ah. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know if you've been watching. Obviously, since you and I last spoke, um, Donald, uh, the Donald, uh, not McLeod, but uh, Trump, yes. has, has disappeared from social media. He's, he's gone down to Florida. He hasn't really been heard from. For a while. Well, that's not true. You see, well, Nigel's actually spokesperson. Well, I've got to speak on his behalf. Let's be honest here. No, no, no. Let me speak. <laughs> the thing about the Donald. It's quite unpredictable, as you know, Mike. But he's been filming scenes, <laughs> additional scenes for the new Bond film, which is yet again postponed uh, till October. So expect some surprises. That's all I can say. Sworn to secrecy, he'll be turning up as some Mar-a-Lago fisherman unearthing a body from the depth. <laughs> Possibly his own. Who knows? I, I, I imagine a lot Mr. of people... Band, we meet again. Yeah, a lot of people would like to see Donald Trump as a Bond villain, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he needs a cat, though, doesn't he? He's a yeah, a well, paint. Well, he doesn't like animals, though. He didn't have a, he said the first president that didn't have a dog, I think, wasn't he? That's right. I hate, I hate, I, I hate all things, you know, quadrupeds, bipeds. <laughs> bicycles yeah, i hate them all animal. i'm with jeremy vine there you know <laughs> jeremy's upset because apparently the cycle lanes uh, of london have been uh, that have been installed during the lockdown uh, apparently have all been installed illegally so they all have to be ripped up well this is the case but we want to avoid unrest but really do we because on the line now we have 
civil unrest champions. Hello, Jeremy. Yes, I took them. I just got those things. I broke them with my own bare hands. And Sadiq Khan, well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to drop a rally chopper on his ass. You know, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just about, well, they, they're just getting a bit wide, though, aren't they? I walk, we were in Glasgow yesterday, um, you know, we were driving through. And I'm looking over to the sides. I mean, the cycle lanes are as wide as the actual yeah. traffic lanes. Yes. Yeah. Well, the only thing wider than the I'm cycle really... lane is the new pavements. that They've put in these massive pavements. And you kind of go, what's that for? Why is there a massive yeah. pavement between the cycle lane and where the bus goes and then another massive uh, pavement to the other side of the road? Well, I've done that many times. I've walked along and I, I just look drunk when I've sort of yeah. not been sure. Well, it's almost a like a sort of a, a sort of a, a road version of a pinball machine. You know, you can only go like, <laughs> you know, certain... know. You just wish the whole thing to go to tilt. Uh, yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't even you don't even hear any bells and whistles. Finally, um, I, I think we need to hear from the new president of the United States of America, Lewis, because of course uh, he's wow. been signing with so many different pens. He seems to struggle finding pens sometimes. Well, I'm getting a bit like Michael Parkinson. You know, I'll be sponsoring Parker Pence soon. I mean, let's be honest here. And it's quill. you got to make... The thing is, I look like I could write in calligraphy because the hands are just a little bit doddery. I don't know what I'm actually writing. It's hieroglyphics to some, you know. There's Egyptians going, this is very good. He's making world peace happen for everybody. It's very exciting. But really, I don't know. Am I in the White House? I haven't got the keys yet. But I was talking to John Terry. In fact, I grabbed him by the ear. And if anybody's seen him on TV and wondered what that thing is sticking out the side of his ear, it's like a Prince Charles comedy ear. I got It's just like we're, we're the, the, the expendables now, aren't we? Like this team, we're coming over to London to talk to the ministers and the shadow ministers. Lisa and Andy, you know, we're just going to have a great chat about climate. And in the first hundred days, I can find the keys. I hope I wake it outside the, the winter because, you know, you know, Kamala might be just putting something in my tea. You don't know about that, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine? Get in, Joe. Drink this. <laughs> Can you imagine the presidential motorcade trying to find new key? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty narrow down there. It'll just be a lot of <laughs> these micromes. Like, you know, when he's, you know, shopping, throwing, out of my way. You know, the little thing you hired at, at Disney. Get out of my way. I'm a the president. Coming through. Well, you know, I saw, I saw a very funny tweet the other day when he, when he called Boris Johnson. And somebody said, yeah, you probably wasn't, didn't realise he was calling Britain. He thought, you probably thought he was calling the pizza place because he hadn't delivered it. <laughs> pizza. Is this Domino's? <laughs> Can I have a quattro stagione? How do you say it? Stagione, Mr. Press. Stagione. <laughs> No cheese. <laughs> wow. That's you great. Me for president. What are you going to get? <laughs> Old cheese, I think he's right. Do uh, Lewis, great to talk to you. Uh, see you soon and keep well up there in the frozen north. And if you see Boris, tell him not to hang about too long. I tell you what, he's going. He's out, he's out the door on his flying. <laughs> Lewis McLeod. Listen, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, you need to have a laugh in this life. Otherwise, what else are you going to do? Uh, and that is certainly what he provided for us there uh, brilliantly. Coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon because, in fact, it turns out uh, that he is going to Scotland, even though he's been told not to. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. 
on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have spoken uh, to Lewis McLeod in the last five minutes or so. We've been talking about Scotland all week uh, because we had Kevin McKenna on earlier on talking about the feud that's currently ongoing between Nicola Sturgeon uh, and Alex Salmon. Today, uh, things have taken a little turn for the worse, if you like, because Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, is up in Scotland today. He's decided he wants to go uh, and take a visit up there, uh, which is entirely entitled to do. Nicola Sturgeon, of course, who consistently now runs Scotland as if it's some kind of private fiefdom, uh, has said that she doesn't think his trip is essential. It seems to me rather impertinent, if nothing else. Let's talk to Alberto Costa, Conservative MP for South Leicestershire, Parliamentary Private Secretary to the Attorney General. Alberto, uh, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. It's always a pleasure to be on your great show. And can I just add, I agreed with every word that you just said there. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm very sorry to say that as a, a, a sort of a Scot myself, not necessarily born there, but having both parents come from Glasgow, I feel a great affinity to Scotland. I lived there. Uh, I worked there. Uh, I feel Scottish as well as British. And I don't want Scotland to become an independent country. I don't think most Scots want it to become an independent country. And I'm, I'm, I'm more and more concerned about the way the SNP's running it, quite frankly. I couldn't agree more with you, Mike. And it's not about Scotland becoming independent. It's about you, Mike, and all the listeners of this great programme losing their identity. Let's be very clear. If Nicola Sturgeon and her separatists ever got their way it would be the end of Britain. Mm. We would no longer be British because the country that we call the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, shortened for Britain or British, would cease to exist. Without Scotland, there is no United Kingdom. And actually, my message to listeners is this, that if you love Britain, if you are a patriot and you love being British, then please help us all in the fight against the nationalists who want to just pretend that the separation of Scotland from the UK would somehow be a a small affair, that the UK would carry on, would all be the best of neighbours. Utter rubbish. If Scotland left the United Kingdom, there would not be a United Kingdom left. We would lose our country. So let's understand that clearly, Mike. Absolutely right. I mean, I worry sometimes as well, Alberto, and this is not necessarily a criticism of the government in Westminster, but the ability for Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland to make individual kind of judgments on public health policy, and I know that it's been devolved, seems to me to be a bit of a mistake because it's kind of fostered this idea that we are not one nation, but we are four. We are one country, the UK of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, I'm quite comfortable with having devolution and and pushing decisions actually down to local people, local authorities. In in England, we've got the Mayor of London, which is a very important and large devolved area, Mike, where your own headquarters are based. We've got uh, mayors of Manchester and elsewhere in England. So I I don't have any problem with devolution as a principle, as a concept. The difficulty we've got, Mike, is that we've got one part of the UK run by separatists, Mm hell-bent on destroying the United Kingdom. And so whoever is in government in Wales, Northern Ireland or London, for that matter, whether it's Conservative or Labour or whether it's a coalition between the DUP and Sinn Féin, they've got this challenge that there is a separatist party in charge of the Edinburgh government that want to break up Britain. And we must not allow them to do that. We must be positive about what it means to be British today in the mid-21st century. We must explain to every Scots person, to every English person, to every Welsh, 
Every Northern Irish person, the benefit of keeping this great country called the United Kingdom. And I think the Prime Minister is in Scotland today exactly for that reason. He's, as British Premier, he's up in Scotland to thank the frontline workers in Scotland to help in the national UK vaccination progress and to ensure that everyone, wherever you live in the United Kingdom, has got access to those vaccines, mm. particularly the British-made Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. But the SNP don't want you to remember that. The SNP want separation. That's their whole objective. That's their ideology. And if you see it from those optics, you'll understand what the SNP are up to. Indeed. Well, Boris Johnson uh, managed to uh, convince um, Ian Blackford yesterday that it was thanks to the British Army uh, that vaccination rollout in Scotland was as successful as it had been. Um, But you're absolutely right. I mean, Boris Johnson uh, has helped Scotland perhaps more than any other prime minister because of this pandemic in terms of the money that's been given, in terms of the support that's been given. I mean, I'd like to have seen what an independent Scotland would have dealt with uh, with COVID without the UK. They'd be waiting for the vaccines like everybody else in the EU you if they were still in it well i want to be positive and i don't want a sort of project fear mark too that that will not help the cause mike what we need to be very clear on is that the smp have used the levers of powers they've been in power since 2007 14 long years in scotland look at the state of education in scotland it's not the fault of labor not the fault of the conservatives it's the fault of the smp the state of education in scotland look at the situation with the police force in scotland you can Pat it off a whole litany of problems that are going on with Scotland. The SNP take credit where it's not due and they blame others when it's their own fault. And we've all got to wise up about this, whether you vote Labour or Conservative, whichever part of the UK that you live in, we've got to wise up that the SNP's whole objective is to break up Britain. And that's why Nicola Sturgeon stands every day as if she's sort of a pseudo prime minister and making these announcements, we should be focused on the British government making British decisions that help the whole of the United Kingdom. And the, Uni- and the United Kingdom's devolved parliament and its devolved governments should focus on those areas that they have jurisdiction over. And where those areas clash, the governments should work together. And the Conservative government and the Labour government before it have tried this with the Nats. But the Nats just don't want to play ball. No, but of course, what they would say, Alberto, is that they are going to win a very large majority once again in the Scottish Parliament uh, in the local elections in May. Um, And that's probably going to happen, isn't it? Well, let me tell you this about Scotland. As I stood once in a Westminster constituency in Scotland, a lot of SNP supporters were anti-EU. Now, I voted Remain, Mike, and I know a lot of your, your listeners voted to leave, and that's fine. I've respected that result. But one third of SNP voters voted to leave the EU. Mm. So the idea that Nicola Sturgeon has got some mandate to take Scotland out of the UK, to break up the UK and then push it back into the EU is nonsense. And we've got to fight that wherever she says that, because her own supporters, a large chunk of them don't, don't agree with that. There's another reason that a lot of people vote SNP in Scotland. They don't necessarily believe in independence. What they would like to see is a party that, stands up for Scottish interests. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't mind you know, people voting for a party that's, that's perceived at least to stand up for the interests of a part of the UK. But let's be clear, um, if, if the SNP win a majority, that does not give them a blank cheque to demand something that's out with the gift of the Edinburgh government. Let them focus instead on getting Scotland back on its feet. Mm. Let them welcome the visit of the Prime Minister today 
work with the British Premier, let's work together with the British Army, with the NHS, a British institution, and let's get people, wherever they reside in the United Kingdom, vaccinated, and let's get out of this COVID pandemic. Absolutely. Well said. Alberto Costa there uh, speaking for Boris Johnson, Conservative MP for South Leicestershire and Parliamentary Private Secretary to the Attorney General. Boris Johnson has every right to go to Scotland. He is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Nicola Sturgeon has no business questioning his motivation, his movement uh, or his arrival in Scotland. Because let's face it, she doesn't own Scotland. She's not the Queen of Scotland. She happens to be the First Minister of Scotland. And I don't think she's doing that job particularly well. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.